morning. How are you today? That's great to see you. Um, next Sunday, I'm going to ask for your help, so I'll need you back next Sunday. Um, the deacons have commissioned a small group of people in our church to help us wrestle with the future vision of River Cross Church. You know, in the last decade or so, we have repositioned ourselves. We uh, constructed this new facility. We repurposed our older facility on Main Street. Uh, we changed our name. Uh, we, we raised money to, to build this, and we've been working on paying um, this building down. But we're now at that time where it's time to dream again and say, God, what is this next season for our church going to involve, and what's it going to look like? And so as we wrestle with that, we would really like to hear from you. So next Sunday, as part of the morning service, we're going to get some feedback from you in some really, really practical ways, which means you're going to get to have a voice in shaping the future vision of our church. So I would encourage you to be back, and I thank you in advance for the help that you're going to, you're going to give us. Um, one of the days that I dread most as a high school kid was parent-teacher day. Uh, if you're not familiar with what Parent-Teacher Day is, it's the day that kids don't go to school, they stay home, and the parents go to school, and they find out about all the bad things you've been doing at school. <laughs> or at least this was my experience. So the worst part about it was you had a day off that you didn't have to go to school, but you stayed home all day like a person on death row, waiting for parents to come home having discovered all the classes that you skipped and the assignments that you failed. So, and when I, my parents would come home, they would come home and my sister would have done really, really well. Great marks, uh, you know, the teachers loved her and, you know, they would joke that she was going to be teaching the school next semester. And for me, they would just simply say, go to your room. We'll talk to you later. Well, we've been going through the book of James over these last four Sundays. Today's our final day. And um, we're kind of looking at the final verses of James. James has been giving a bit of a report card to the people for the church to whom he's writing. And it's not been a good one. And the congregation felt a little bit like I did. Like they've been sent to their room and James is going to come in later and he's going to give them a hard time about some of the areas that they've struggled in. James is a difficult book to study because he deals with so many difficult issues. And no one really reads the book of James to encourage them or to lift their spirit. I'm guessing if you've sent a card to somebody to encourage them, you've never once used a quote from the book of James. Is that fair? Right? If someone gets a new job, you don't send them uh, the, from chapter 1. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. And since they will pass away like a wildflower. Congratulations on the new job. Right? Uh, someone gets baptized, you haven't sent from chapter 3. You believe there's one God? Great. Even the demons believe that, right? You didn't put that in the card. James has so few kind of encouraging words. They're all difficult teachings on matters that the church is dealing with. And if we could sum up the church's biggest struggle where they got the lowest marks on the report card, we'd be getting along with others. That the church has struggled to be the church Outside prep forces, financial challenges, instability, anger, greed, the lack of humility have been tearing the church apart. And James is pointing out, you cannot say you have faith and not open your heart to let God transform you and therefore live differently. And so he's going to close off his book, um, his letter to this church today with a challenge about the way that he wants the church to be. 
about kind of this new kind of way to treat each other. So we're going to look at the last, just the last seven verses of James chapter 5. I'd invite you to turn there if you want to look it up on your phone, or it's on page 1885 in the Bible in the seat in front of you. And we're just going to go through these last seven verses as James calls us to be the church. James chapter 5, 13 to 20. It goes like this. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is there any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if any of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from the death and cover over a multitude of sins. James is writing to this church, calling them to a new way, and the first thing he calls them to is pray for each other. Pray for each other. Now, we live in North America, individualistic culture. When we read James's words here, we immediately think he's talking about you and I sitting in our room having our private devotions with the Lord. That's not what he's talking about here. He's calling the church to be a people of prayer and a people who pray for each other. And I love the honesty of James's call here. Are you in trouble? You should pray. Are you having a great day? You should give thanks. Are you sick? You should ask someone to come and to pray for you. He's calling them to this honest, transparent level of corporate prayer, prayer for one another. The language he uses here when he talks about are you in trouble is the most general word that you can use implying it accounts for anything that you're going through, small, medium, or large. If you're sick, if you're facing financial difficulties, if you're having a relational breakdown, if you're living in a dark season, James calls us to pray. Now, this is not shocking advice. You and I can almost guarantee that it's not a shock for someone writing the Bible to call people in a church to pray, right? I mean, prayer is kind of the Sunday school answer to any question that might get raised in church. Fair enough, right? If I ask you the question, you know, who parted the Red Sea? Prayer, right? Um, who walked on the water with Jesus? Prayer, right? Good answer. I mean, it's kind of the answer to every question, but why is it so foundational to the life of the church? And James then says to us, why is it that if it's so foundational, when we go through a difficult time, we stop praying? Why is it that we as believers stop praying? I think sometimes it's because when we go through a difficult time, we want to avoid the Lord's presence. I'm not sure I'm welcome in his presence. I'm not sure what that's going to be like for me. I'm not sure I feel comfortable there anymore. And so we, we pull back. Maybe we think prayer is impractical. I'm not going to waste my time praying. I've got things to do. I've got problems to fix and things to organize. And I'm going to make this better by getting more busy instead of taking time to pray. Prayer is kind of that thing we do when we have no other option left. 
Or maybe we just run out of gas. Things have been difficult. I don't know if I can pray. I don't know if I can go to the Lord one more time about this. I'm absolutely exhausted by my circumstances. And James is saying, no matter where you are, no matter what your feelings are, no matter what emoji best describes your day, God says, bundle all those things into your arms and lean into him in prayer. So to this church that's been struggling to get along, that's having such a difficult time, he calls them to be a people of prayer. Now, James talks about healing prayer here as well. And I'm not sure what your church background is or what your tradition might be. Some of us, that might be normal. For other of us, you kind of think, well, maybe that's the kind of stuff that happened in Jesus' day, but it doesn't happen so much today, which is not true. God still heals. And he mentions three things here about healing prayer. The first is this, reach out for help. Call the church leaders. Call the people in, who've been set aside for this ministry and have them come and pray for you. And even while I'm saying that, some of you are saying, yeah, that's a good idea. I could do that. And others of us, maybe the majority of us, find it really hard to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I need some help. To send an email and say, look, could you come and pray for me? I'm really having a difficult time. And I'm going to be really honest with you today. I'm one of those people. I value my privacy. And here's the tension, the challenge for all of us. Weighing this kind of valuing my privacy and not having everybody know everything about my life. And on the other hand, missing out on the blessing of having people care for me and pray for me when I need it. As we've said before, before, and before, when we are at our most highest functioning state, when we are just kind of doing our very best, we are still in need of help. We were not created to live our life alone. Being independent and self-sufficient is not how God created us to live. We were created to need each other by God's design. And James says, when you get into a difficult season, I've created it for you to call people to come and to pray for you. I am learning this. It's difficult, but I hope you will learn it with me. You know, we offer this opportunity each Sunday after church. I could, I'll start the spiel and you could probably finish it. You know, let's pretend the closing song just finished and I'll stand here and say, thank you for being here this morning. It's really great. Um, if some of you would like to come forward for prayer after the service, we have some people that will be waiting here for you. Do you remember this spiel every week? You know, we have people here every Sunday who have prepared themselves to pray for you. They've come here with the expectation that I'm going to have the privilege of praying for someone and interceding in the throne room of God on their behalf. Why? Because this is what a church does for each other. We pray for each other. We're there for each other in our time of need and we support each other in this way. The next thing he says is he says um, that we, we should be anointed with oil. And I know some of you are thinking it's 2019. Are you telling me that there's some kind of special oils out there that heal people? You kind of essential oil peoples are going out of your mind right now thinking about this. Um, the point isn't the oil. The oil is a conduit. It's a symbol that reminds us something greater. Just when we baptize somebody, there's nothing special about the water. It's just good old St. John water. But it's symbolic of what God can do. And we should be grateful 
that James chose to call us to anoint each other with oil instead of some of the ways that his brother Jesus chose to heal people. Do you remember? Spitting in the mud, making a little paste and rubbing it on them. Aren't you glad that he chose oil instead of that? The last thing he says is that we heal people in the name of the Lord. You and I do not heal people. The Lord works through us to bring his healing to their lives. The power comes from him. The ability to restore comes from him who longs to see our lives put back together. We know healing will come when Christ's kingdom comes in its fullness someday. And so a prayer for healing is asking God to do that work now in advance of the day when your kingdom comes in its fullness. So anointing is important, but what makes the prayer effective is the faith, our faith in what God can do. And I think too often when we talk about healing and when we talk about healing prayer, when we read these verses, we think that it's all about the technique, right? You have to have the right kind of oil. You better not use Crisco. You should use olive oil. And, you know, your prayer has to be at a certain level. And you have to quote the right scriptures, and they better be from the right translation. That's not what the James is talking about. That's faith in us and in our technique. Our hope and trust is in what God can do in these moments. Now, James seems to turn the channel here a little bit, and he moves from talking about asking people to pray for you to confessing our sin. Now, I know some of you are thinking, hey, it's bad enough that you've just told me that I should ask someone for help. Now you're telling me that I should confess my sin to somebody else, share my weakness and share my struggles? Well, James is not saying to stand up during kind of announcement time in the service and just kind of get it all off your chest. That's not what he's talking about. It would make for a very exciting announcement time. Um, but that's not what he's referring to here. James is saying there's something powerful that happens in our hearts when we open ourselves up to the Lord and to each other and share the burdens that we've been carrying. You know, confession is such a funny thing. Uh, because at first, when we're living with sin in our lives, um, our greatest fear is that someone's going to find out. Our greatest fear is it's going to become public. People will find out what's going on in my heart or in my life privately. And so we carry it around with us. And over time, it eats away at us, and that burden gets heavier. And then there comes a point whereby we tell somebody, and we confess what's been going on. And how do we feel in that moment? Light. Relieved. Unburdened. What we had been terrified of in the beginning now becomes our blessing. Now, many commentators have tried to figure out uh, how is James moving here from talking about kind of praying for he healing and, and now moving to talk about confessing our sins to each other. And there are some cases where I think our sin might be the cause of our physical ailment, but not always, and we need to be really cautious. Remember Job's friends who pestered him cruelly, saying, the reason you've got all this bad stuff going on in your life is because you have sin in your life, hidden sin. And he didn't. And it was destructive. Those words were so destructive in his life. What James is saying is this. When you open your heart and ask some people to come and pray for you, it's only natural for you to realize that you need prayer for other things in your heart as well. We see this all the time when we visit people in the hospital. If someone's in the hospital, we go up to see them, and we pray for them for their physical well-being and for their healing or whatever their, their situation is. And more often than not, when the prayer is finished and they open their eyes, they've got tears in their eyes. 
and there's other things they want to talk about. I've got this situation at home. My marriage is not doing very well. I'm financially in a difficult space. I've been living a lie for a little bit of time. And suddenly as we open our hearts and ask the Lord to come in for healing, we also realize there's other things in there that the Lord wants to deal with. Let me just say one more thing about this and then we'll move on. If you're holding on to sin in your life, it's an act of disbelief. It's saying, God, I don't trust you to deal with this thing. And so we then pray for God to heal us as if we've got faith that God can move in this area of our life, but not this area of our life. And it's so often why healing prayer doesn't work. So James is calling his people to be the church, to be praying for each other, to be caring for each other in this way. Now, we need to talk about verse 16 and and verse uh, in particular. Because James says here, so matter of fact... That if we take this advice and we get a righteous person and we get to the leaders together and we pray and we anoint them with oil, that they'll be healed, that they will be well. So I want to make a couple of comments this morning for when we do that and the person is not healed. Let me just say three things really quickly about this is a much larger topic that we have time to deal with here this morning. The first is this, a prayer of faith by a righteous person is a prayer that remembers that God is sovereign and sometimes his answer to our prayer is not what we want it to be. And that's difficult. Our prayer is to the Lord is not, Lord, my will be done, but your will be done in my life. And I think of the Apostle Paul who, who struggled and suffered with probably a chronic illness for many years and he begged the Lord to heal him to take this from me. And do you remember what the Lord said? No. But I will give you grace sufficient for this burden that you're carrying to see you through. Did God answer his prayers? Yes, he did. Did he answer his prayers in the way that he wanted? No, he didn't. So a prayer done in true faith must be a prayer that can ask for whatever we like but remembers that God's will in this matter is supreme and best, as difficult as that is. The second comes from the example of Elijah, uh, where James uses to kind of encourage us to kind of endearing prayer, just keep on praying. Now, Elijah's a rock star from the Old Testament, and many of us wouldn't relate to him, but James wants us to see him just as an ordinary person that prayed for things like you and I do. Uh, Elijah got hungry, he got angry. If you remember uh, Dr. Garth Williams' message from the summer, he struggled with burnout. He had many, many dark and difficult times. But in verse 18, he's calling the church to long-term faithful prayer, to see things through. And he uses a farming analogy again. Remember we talked about kind of a farming metaphor in week one? Just say yes, just humor me. Yes, I totally remember it. It was great, so helpful. He talked about in chapter one, he talked about that the, we are the first fruits of the Lord, that we are like a plant that the Lord is tending to. He plants the seed, he waters us, he gives us every good and perfect gift from above, he shines his heavenly lights on us, that he's looking after us, and he is going to make sure that there comes a day when there's a fruit in our life, that he's going to be faithful to us, and he's going to work with us, and he's going to stick it out to us right to the very end. And James uses another analogy here when he talks about the story of Elijah, rain, and crops. 
Now, this past week, Pastor Joe brought in some vegetables from his garden, lovely and delicious. And these vegetables were harvested in the month of November. When did you think they were planted? Where's Joe? I asked this at the first service. June? May. I was close. Planted them in May. Well, why do I bring this up? Because too often when we read these kind of stories, when we think about prayer, it says here that Elijah prayed and it rained and the earth produced crops. How long does that take in this story? It takes months. It's a journey over months. My point is this. Elijah did not pray on Monday. It rained on Tuesday and he harvested his crop on Saturday. It was a long time that Elijah was faithful in praying to the Lord, waiting for him to answer his prayers. And each one of those days, from the moment he started to the moment he ended, God was faithful to Elijah, even though Elijah couldn't see it. Three weeks after he planted that first seed and it rained and there was nothing coming out of the ground, the Lord was still faithful to Elijah. Two months in, after he could barely see a bit of a plant breaking through the soil, God was faithful to Elijah, even though there was no fruit. When it was hot and dry and it did not look like anything was going to survive, God was faithful to Elijah because he tended that crop right to the very end until it harvested. James is saying this from this example. Keep praying. Don't give up. You prayed when you planted, you prayed when it rained, and now you pray until the day that the Lord answers your prayer. The last thing I want to say about unanswered prayer is this, that sometimes I just don't know. I don't know why the Lord doesn't answer our prayers. It doesn't make sense to me. There's so many things I don't like about that, and I want the Lord to move, and we ask the Lord to move, And it doesn't seem like he's moving in the way that we want. And I just don't know why. So James is calling the church to pray. Calling us to pray for each other. Calling us to commit to pray for each other over months and years, if that's what it requires. And ask the Lord to do what only he can do in their lives. The last thing this chapter mentions, just verses 19 and 20, the last two verses, is kind of restoring the wanderer. (laughs) Restoring the wanderer that there was people in the church in James's day who drifted away. They drifted away from the family of believers, and James is calling the church to be the kind of people that go looking for people, that go after them. Now, the scriptures are filled with stories of God going looking for people. In Genesis chapter 3, there's the story of Adam and Eve. They'd sinned. They were ashamed of what they'd done, and so they were hiding. And do you remember what happens? The Lord goes looking for them. John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind at birth. And uh, he heals the man. The man goes home. He tells his family. The church hears about it, and they kick him out. And when Jesus hears that this guy gets kicked out, he goes looking for him. Luke chapter 15, the story of the sheep or the shepherd and his hundred sheep. He's got 99, but one goes missing, and he goes looking. Friends, we need to embody this spirit as a local congregation, that we go looking for people who are struggling or who are wandering. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain has murdered his brother. The Lord comes to him and says, you know, where is your brother? And do you remember Cain's response? Am I my brother's keeper? 
And you can imagine a shiver went through the Lord to think that we would believe that we are not responsible to be looking out for each other. We are our sisters and our brothers' keepers. And this needs to be done in love. But when someone goes missing, when someone is struggling, when someone is straying, we need to embody the words of 1 Peter 4.8, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, what matters most in these encounters is that we love people and that we go looking for them. And this will require wisdom, yes, and grace. But if I wander away from the faith or I wander away from the church and no one comes looking for me, maybe you started coming here two years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, and then you don't show up for a year and no one calls to see where you are or how you're doing, it would be heartbreaking. And so we as a church, as difficult as it, need, as it is, need to look out for each other. And I know we have two services. I know our church has grown. And you kind of say, I don't know that I know anybody here anymore. But we need to figure out how to do this together. So James, he's not interested in us liking his writing. He's not interested in us liking his letter. He's not interested in us uh, just kind of amening it. What does he want us to do? He wants us to put it into practice and to trust God that we could be this kind of a church together that's ferocious in prayer for one another and that is looking out for each other when we struggle or when we stray. So let's commit to it this morning. Let's pray. God, today we are so grateful for this challenge, for the call to live this way, to put this into practice in our own lives. And Lord, that we really would be family to each other, sharing what's going on in our lives so that we can be in prayer for one another, so that we can beat on the doors of heaven for the concerns of our sisters and brothers in Christ, so that we can be a people who are coming alongside folks and praying for them for it to rain, praying for the harvest to come. And Lord, that we would live with a real sensitivity to people who are going through difficult times or who have strayed from you. And God, that we would just share with them that we love them and that they're part of our family. We would want to see them back. And so God, may we embody this together, we pray in Christ's name.